Oi, we need to talk about politics. <laughs> there you go, you finally agree now. Okay, um, welcome to Hung, episode three. We're recording from Communicator in Shoreditch. So uh, thanks, to, thanks to Dan Brown for allowing us to host here. Uh, Dan Brown, who you will have heard in the previous two episodes, it, this is his workplace, so um, shout out to them. To my left is Jason Ford, say hello, say hello Jason. Hello. And Matt Horrock, say hello Matt. Hello. And Nathan Mayer to my right, making his big debut, say hello Nathan. Good evening. And Dan Brown, say hello. Hello. And I'm Robbie George. Um, so yeah, welcome to episode three. The general election 2017 results podcast. Um, the election happened on June the 8th, so obviously it took us till July the 4th to make this happen. <laughs> um, I think way to kick this off. It was a crazy, crazy election. No one, in fact, none of us actu- actually predicted it correctly. If I r- remember right, from could I just actually firstly just say congratulations to Jeremy Corbyn for winning the election. Yeah, uh, we'll come job. on to that. I think we'll come on to whether that actually happened. But um, <laughs> I think episode one, we all we all had a, a stab at predicting it. I predicted a uh, Tory landslide, <laughs> so that shows what I know. I think the closest was was actually... No, Me. Was it? I was going to say I that. got really close. Did you? Did you? Yeah, especially with the uh, exit poll prediction. Yeah, he did. I remember it. Oh, oh, hold on, but are we talking about... Sorry. Oh, sorry. Are we talking about the predictions we made on Hunk? Like, is it yeah, not... No. Not, 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 yeah, but not... Oh, not, sorry. Did, we actually... Yeah. We did a game when you went there in Lisbon. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, I, so, I know Jace, sorry. but I'm just like, Jace, people don't know about that. Why are you yeah, making You got no, it wrong. Let's tell the... Um, Listeners, we did we did did play a game in Portugal to predict to predict the the seats and who would win. And Jason did get the closest in that game. However, in the official hung quiz at the end of episode one, I believe Dan, you you were the closest. I think you said a narrow Tory win, if I remember correctly. I think I think I did. Yeah, cheers, so, um, cheers guys. we'll double check that. We will. <laughs> let's let's recap what actually happened. So. At the end of the night, or shall I say, at the in the early hours of the morning, it was clear that the Conservatives were the largest party, but they, they'd fallen six seats short of the 326 needed to command a majority in the House of Commons. They ended up on 318. The Labour Party uh, increased their seats by 30 to 262. The SNP had a bad night, so they, they dropped to 35 seats. Lib Dems didn't quite get the resurgent vote that they hoped. They they gained four seats. Uh, the DUP, the ever important ZUP, ended up gaining two seats to take them to ten in uh, to join what we now know as a confidence and supply arrangement with the Conservatives. And then other parties got a bunch of seats, didn't they? We don't really know what happened with those. Greens got one. UKIP got none. Sinn Fein got a bunch. Seven, I think. Big up Sinn Fein. Sinn Fein, the ones that never turn nah, up. Nah, not big up Sinn Fein, man. Yeah, no, that's weird. Just kidding. Yeah, don't do that. I'd um, actually <laughs> like to congratulate the DUP because they were the only ones that won this election. Yeah, they, um, considering they got, you know, a few hundred thousand votes and so now they tip the balance of power, that's, that's quite the... I think it's quite the show. <laughs> Ten people from Northern Ireland just walked away with Billy in the bank just for, just for nothing, really. I don't know if it's a personal pay out. Obviously, it's not like it's not their Instagram and just or are you saying Facebook. I'm saying they've just walked over a billion in the pockets for Northern Ireland. So where is that money going to go? Well, apparently for like infrastructure. It's, so it's actually it works out as like 1.5 percent of the overall um, budget, which 
didn't sound like a lot, but actually it's a lot. I think the budget's like 700 billion or something like that. Um, but yeah, if you think about that, Northern Ireland just got given 1.1 billion, 1.5 billion. Yeah, I think it's just 1.5. Whereas yeah. that beforehand, they would not have got that money, which is a it's a straight up bribe. It's like, it's mad how that's worked. That's and it's already having crazy impacts. Just on that though, the Northern Ireland Parliament has been the most underfunded and Northern Ireland as a whole on NHS infrastructure than the rest of the UK. So maybe it's just their turn. As much as that is a very, very valid point in the sense of it's underfunded, I think it's too convenient. I'm just not having it. I'm sorry, but you don't just walk in going, yeah. oh, we need a majority. Oh, here's a billion. Oh, it's because you're already underfunded. I saw an interview with this like random Northern Irish guy and he was saying like, yeah, obviously we need the cash, but it's an absolute joke that you're only paying attention to us now. It's an insult to the people of Northern Ireland that the government are only just paying attention to it and only when it suits them. I think that's, that's totally spot on. And you only have to look at um, the vote in the uh, House of Commons of the day where Labour had put some, something forward to put an amendment to the Queen's speech, which meant that the freeze on public sector pay rises from, instead of it being capped at 1%, they wanted to get rid of that cap because they felt for the last seven years, that's all people in the public sector have been able to have their pay increased by. Um, the rate of inflation is higher than that. Um, and yet that got rejected, or as in the, the vote that swung it, was by 13 votes. The DUP count for 20 votes now, um, even though there's only 10 of them. Why did they count for 20? I don't know. I read yeah, it. I heard about that actually. Yeah, no, it's kind of it's just the way that the votes work. But there's only 10 of them personally, but the votes count for 20. Anyway, the swing was 13 yeah. votes, and that amendment got rejected. So now our public um, sector workers can uh, their pay rises are capped at one percent. Which, especially when you consider how the government came out and said, "Oh, what a great job they've all done recently yeah, with Grenfell with the terrorism attacks," it is. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think Dan, if you'd studied the agenda, a rejection of austerity was coming up in point three. So we can we can get to that in the, in a bit. But DUP mm. was also point <coughs> one, and this was no, no, it's true, it's true. Just a quick one on that though: were the D, the DUP twenty votes what swung that to be passed or not passed? Well, it's thirteen votes. To defeat yeah, but the did, did the DUP vote against it or for it? Uh, or, yeah, they voted with the Conservatives. They voted so against the Labour Labour amendment. Yeah. yeah, just a quick one. How many seats are there in total in Northern Ireland? Is it just Sinn Féin and the DUP that occupy the entire I think they're the only thing? ones that got seats this election. So Sinn Féin got seven mm. and the DUP got ten and I'm pretty sure no one else in Northern Ireland got any seats. So I think there's 17. But you know the agreement, the like power sharing agreement? Yeah, it's actually between like... Good Friday. Yeah, Good Friday agreement. It's actually between seven parties, I think. Somebody was telling me about this and I was like... Yeah, well, there are more, but I think they all collapsed or something. Uh, yeah, it's, it is essentially probably the the, the biggest um, power arrangement for such a small party in a long, long time in terms of the amount of influence that that they wield. Considering the relatively small percentage of votes they got, the the number of votes they got compared to other parties in the UK, and 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 now the amount of power that that they hold. Interesting, I guess, comparing it to the, the coalition in 2010, which, which, which it was, compared to this, which is a confidence and supply agreement, which is just to get the Queen's speech through and then and support the Tories on any major legislation that they want to get through. In 2010, the Tories and Lib Dems combined had 363 MPs, so a working majority of 37. Whereas this time, even with the DUP support, that only gives 
a Tory DUP uh, supply and uh, confidence arrangement, a majority of three, which is which is very small. And I think considering that when I think they had something like 17, a majority of 17 from the 2015 results, um, it, it, it kind of puts it into perspective that this probably isn't going to last that long. And is it going to last that long? And even though the Labour amendment was defeated, I don't think that's going to be a long term can it can it get swung by one seat any amendment vote what do you mean is one a majority like let's say what is it 300 sorry <laughs> 300 327 yeah that wins a, mm. an amendment that's kind of crazy because yeah. you could you could if Sinn Féin for example turned up to their seats which they won't and then the entire opposing parties sort of combined together yeah then they could they could no even as long as the DUP support them then then they can't they they, they couldn't be stopped but, but but it could be a few of the more liberal backbenchers who go yes, against their vote so yes. if it comes down to a literally one yeah we then, it, then it could be stopped. well and and, as, and I think that's crazy. a that's a big point I think something that's important about this election is the Tory party kind of lurched to the right and, and I don't think it is sort of all set in stone that the UK vote collapsed into it I think it was kind of 50-50 split between where UKIP went between the Tories and the Labour Party but because the Tories lurched to the right I think there are a lot of li uh, liberal conservatives that will be put off by this like people from maybe Cameron's wing of the party some of the more centrist conservative MPs that could wield a ton of power especially and I'm surprised that it's not been talked about more the Scottish conservatives because essentially the the Tory party's success in Scotland is what kept them in power, which is mental because that doesn't happen in Scotland. I mean, uh, to be a Tory in Scotland was something that you kept quite secret. And now, they, um, now they've won like, what, 13 seats? It shows the state of politics in Scotland as well at the moment. Like Nicola Sturgeon's having an absolute nightmare, like a few months with calling the referendum again. And I think it's quite interesting. I think we mentioned it on one of the other podcasts where for us in England, for a little while, Sturgeon's kind of appeared like this solid politician up there who we've all kind of respected, but the cracks are massively seeping through now um, in the SNP, and then obviously Labour have been having a stinker in Scotland for a, a couple of years now. But now, I think they won a few seats back, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but they're still f so far, they yeah. essentially got gobbled up by the SNP, didn't they? Yeah, in 2015, yeah. the SNP got all but three seats. One was retained by the Lib Dems, one by the Tories, one by the Labour Party. And I think the um, I think Scotland could hold the balance of power for quite a long time in terms of if the SNP does collapse, if the issue of independence does come off the table at some point, or Scottish people just decide overwhelmingly that the SNP don't have their best interests at heart because domestically and I, I don't really know that much about it but it has been reported that the SNP aren't doing that good a job but they've managed to capture the hearts and minds of the Scottish people on the issue of independence if that vote were to collapse the way it were to collapse will dictate who wins the next election I think yeah, yeah. which now is up for grabs whereas maybe previous to this election it would have been Labour taking back what they once held yeah but now it might not be yeah exactly, That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think because Ruth Davidson's done an amazing job at becoming kind of the spokesman for all Scottish people that don't want to be independent. And if the Labour Party can get their act together and figure out who's going to be their spokesman for that and kind of 
start to retain that vote, then there's every chance that Labour could start to eat their way back into that country and then really make a play for winning the next election in five weeks' time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> how, how long do you reckon May's got left? Two oh. years. Two years, Nate. Yeah. Well, that's how long the parliament is, isn't it? Yeah. No. Sorry, the no. government. Sorry, no, the government. No, five. No, five. no, no. Two, they called it four. She called it a short parliament, didn't she? Oh, did she? Yeah. Yeah, the deal with the DUPs for two years. Yeah. So in two years, we will have another general... Post-Brexit, we will have another general election. No, okay. Will well, it be another general election? I can't election? Totally be bothered. <laughs> what, will we actually? Yeah, would it be another general election just or would no, it be a, a, a new negotiation between parties? No, new, new deal, but I personally think there will be a call for another general election yeah. post-Brexit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in the Tory party, people want to displace May, but they know they need to keep her... For, no one wants to do the Brexit negotiation. <laughs> Let May sink herself. And then there'll be a general election. There's no good Tories, man. There's no good. M- there's no good MPs that can. Ruth like, Davidson. She won't run. She no, won't no, run. no, she is a good Tory MP. Yeah. They won't let her either. As in, the, from a British, from an English perspective, to to vote for a Scottish leader of a party would just be unheard of, I imagine. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think well, and this kind of brings me on to where I wanted to take the conversation next is that. One of the interesting things for me, being a centrist, is that it, the um, collapse of the centre ground in this election um, just gone. So we kind of saw the, the UKIP vote collapse in, in, into what seems to have been 50% Tories, so kind of those old Thatcherite conservatives, the real Eurosceptics that abandoned the party in order to, to push the um, Brexit agenda for years, kind of came back to the Tories, but then there was a lot of working class voters in the northeast um, and the north where immigration was a big thing for them they felt the Labour Party didn't represent them for years and 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 they were picked up by UKIP and it seems like those two um, groups of voters went back to the two main parties one lurching to the left one lurching to the right the Lib Dem votes stuck around the seven percent mark um, the Green vote collapsed 2.1%, I'm guessing, into the, the Labour Party. So the centre ground and, and, and any sort of MPs that were to occupy the centre ground, you know, Chuka Amuna, Nick Clegg, um, these people have been and been forced into the back benches or out of um, Parliament altogether. So what does that mean? Is that good? It's, well, it, it isn't good. But well, what do you think about it? I think personally it will come back post-Brexit. I think we have a far-left Labour Party that is for a hard Brexit and a, a right Tory party that is for a hard Brexit and I think that will change a lot of the voting power that both of the parties had in the youth who are at the core of Remainers and it will give play to maybe not a massive rise in the centre but the centre will come back. Yeah. Um, I don't think there'll be a new party created. I think it's going to be a bit of a war internally in both our main parties but I think the centre ground still has a massive place post-Brexit. Do you not think that, so for me, no matter what the Tories do now or whoever does on Brexit, it's kind of like a done deal, like we're sort of, we're fucked either way basically and it's kind of like, okay, they're both for a hard Brexit, Corbyn's always been a Eurosceptic, May's sort of made her own bed with the way she's had to position herself um, on Brexit recently. So it's going to be awkward. It was always going to be because there was no clear plan of action. Um, But it's going to sort of happen. We're going to come out of it. I don't think people are going to be looking at Labour and thinking, oh, 
you haven't done what you said you were going to do because they never said they were going to do a softy softy Brexit and they never said they were going to repeal that bill because it was a not a bill but that um that vote they said they were going to stick by it and in the same way with the Tories you know their kind of voters I don't think are going to say to the Tories oh well you said you were going to do any different everybody sort of knows it's a it's a nightmare situation I think that the centre off the back of it it probably might come around a little bit but I don't necessarily think because of Brexit I think the interesting thing is this was the Brexit election and we never spoke about Brexit. I think Corbyn has done a great job in rallying the young vote, building, you know, more people voted than ever before again. But that's because he got away with never once showing his Euroscepticism. And a lot of those people that surged in his vote were hardcore Remainers. I feel some people have just given up on Brexit, but I don't feel that's the general case for everyone. So in the in the no, so what, what I was going to say, I think an interesting point is the Labour Party, in my opinion, has a bit of a problem, not a huge one, but a, a split between the Labour Party that's very London-centric and um, millennial and Remain, and I think there was a huge surge, as you said, in new voters between 18 and 24, people that were voting for the first time. And I think they are the hardcore Remainers. But then when you look at the Labour Party in the rest of the UK, especially in the North, those people are pro-Brexit. And they voted for, for the Labour Party because people in the North don't tend to vote for the Conservatives. And Jeremy Corbyn did say he'd do a Brexit that would put jobs at the centre of it and kind of make sure that people's jobs were retained and their quality of life was retained. So I think there is a, a bit of an um, impending... Uh, sort of challenge between those be, between those two groups and sort of which which camp the Labour Party ends up in. Yeah, I think to your point, Nate, of uh, it was supposed to be the Brexit election and it never got spoken about because I think deep down both parties or both party leaders kind of know it's going to be a shit show. Hmm. There's no, there's never there's no good result that's going to tickle the right boxes. Firstly, from the media, and then secondly, for the actual people. Because the one that kind of will help people most is if, you know, we're probably going to remain in the EEA. That's probably going to help that jobs. Again? That's the European Economic Area. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm just checking here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that requires us to keep the freedoms. Obviously, the key one being freedom of movement of people, um, which is obviously a massive swing point for a yeah. lot of people. And I think that's There's a lot of people in the North that won't accept that. Exactly, and there's a lot of people in the media who will make people not accept that as well. Yeah. Um, so when it all comes crumbling down, when, when they kind of get this either shit deal or no deal put on their plate, they can go, bollocks. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then both, both parties are going to cr go crumbling. And to oppose Nave's point, I think a new party will arise. I think it will have to. I think it's the biggest political change in the UK in such a long time. And we've, had, we've seen parties come out of nowhere in that time so I don't see why another one couldn't and I know exactly who Robbie wants to lead that party Cleggy no, no, no. <laughs> no I think yeah I, I actually think a new party will emerge or morph kind of like the social democrats merging with the liberal party in the 80s um, to form the liberal democrats that we know now I do think there is a space for a new party in the centre that can kind of take a pragmatic approach to this and not give in to, to sort of the, 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 the left, the complete left and the complete right, because with an issue as big as Brexit and with the inevitable economic 
downturn <laughs> that we're going to have in the next five to ten years, there there is going to be a, a appetite for a party that puts the best interests of the country and the future at, at, at the heart of it. Because I, this is just my personal opinion as well, but I've, I've said that, you know, I don't think parties that occupy the far right or the far left really do enough to talk about the issues that actually affect us. So um, I put down here that, you know, I think some of the key issues that are not covered in policies of these parties on the far left or the far right are the environment, um, jobs of the future, uh, you know, 21st century skills, the inevitable increase of globalization. I mean, the fact that the world is becoming smaller, the way companies do business is kind of spanning um, countries, the, the uh, impact of uh, borders and trade. These things are going to happen. And as technology increases, we need to make sure that we're addressing those problems. So jobs are going to disappear what we're going to uh, do about that. We can't look backwards and say that we're going to keep all of these jobs that literally won't exist. And I don't think, I haven't heard Corbyn or you know Paul Nuttall when he was in charge or like or May or any, anyone that would sort of openly say that they occupy either the, the, the left hand side of the spectrum or the right do enough, in my opinion, to talk about that. I'd just quickly like to say on the this was the Brexit vote. It wasn't the Brexit vote. It was the Theresa May vote. It was the Theresa May vote to get a majority. It was the little sneak in the back door to go, actually, this is a good time to call an election. It's nothing to do with Brexit. That was just the excuse. I mean, there are a lot of worse things or a lot more important things going on right now than Brexit. There are nurses going to food banks. I think you know there are people in cladded tower blocks that are setting alight. There are a lot bigger things on our own doorstep with the exception of Brexit. I think sometimes we get too wrapped up in the concept of what that means, where we're kind of blinded by this uh, this big sort of shiny cock-up that's in the near future. But it's a sort of decision that's already been done. Now it's just up to the people in charge to get on and do it. I think that's just the biggest issue, really. I disagree somewhat with that in the sense that Brexit, there is a good way out of a bad situation. And by leaving completely free movement and trade agreements, this country is going to feel even more austerity and anything before. Like nurses are going to food banks at the moment. From the 2010 election, they are a thousand pounds worse off in real pay. So that takes in consideration pay and inflation um, than they were in 2010. By 2020, they're going to be 2,500 pounds worse off, and that's pre-Brexit economics. If we leave the trade, the free movement, one will have less nurses anyway because a big part of our workforce is from European countries. Two, trade deals will go up. Importing things will go up. So that number will probably rise in itself. So I think to say the Labour Party, who are quite you know, vocal on the public sector, that they don't have a part to play in this Brexit and we might as well just go along with this bad ride, I think very much they should be the most vocal party on why we need a soft Brexit. I would say that's a fair point. But mate, what about the magic money tree? I saw it earlier. Did you see it? Yeah, it's really shiny. Yeah, I'd take. It's some really, cash it's, out it's out completely that. untouched. Take some cash out. Just that guy. for a sort of <laughs> different view, there are a lot of economists out there who actually say that leaving the EU is 
quite a good move. I don't necessarily share that view, but I'm also not you, an economist. You're, like just, um, you're just into whatever Jeremy Corbyn's into, aren't you? Aren't you that not at all, no. I'm also not into... I voted Remain, you know. <laughs> <I'm> like, um, <laughs> <laughs> so no, I just think that there are a lot of people who you know smart yeah. people who say that you know it is there are good elements to it I economically, think, and I think yeah, there's a good way to get out of it, and there's a bad way to get out of it. But ultimately, we don't have we don't have an impact on that because it's dealt with by about eight or nine people behind closed doors. No, I think, and I do know that there have been economists who have come out and made that case. I do think that there is a consensus broadly that we're in for a very troubling decade at least i think depending on how the economy comes out of the other side does it become a tax haven does it not what trade deals do we do there is obviously light at the end of the tunnel but at what cost and to what end for our jobs and our economy and the type of country that we end up being yeah brexit is a fight against globalization in a way yeah the the fight against globalization is futile really as you were saying just earlier like the you know the history of geographic politics as we've uh, been reading up on recently yeah big up books love them <laughs> what is that um that book by the way what's it called nath come on nath oh um prisoner of politics no prisoner of geography prisoner of geography it basically nath as if he had to tell you the name <coughs> of the book you just read that i just lent it to him okay fair enough yeah, I mean, just just the fact that you know, for example, when you know in the f- you know forties, taking an airplane somewhere was so expensive. Now you can get to like anywhere for like twenty quid on Ryanair. Um, that just th- I know that's not like that doesn't that's not what we sorry. Not, what's that got to do with Brexit? <laughs> Have we got here? No, no, no. Hang on. Now. Let me dig myself <laughs> out of this one. Um, Go on, Jace. Go on. Basically, it's a very good, obvious example of how easy it is to move around the globe now and how borders are inevitably shrinking in the sense of, like, physical borders. Um, Frictionless borders. Frictionless borders, yeah, thanks. Um, And basically, it's it's always going to evolve to the point where it's going to be much, much easier and for us to fight it is kind of, you know, pointless. And I think that's why immigration has increased exponentially across the entire globe over the last sort of... 50 years in comparison to potentially the 1500 years preceding that because it's just e- it's physically easier and that enables people no fair i think i was just going to before we dive too deep into brexit because i think we are going to do a, a brexit podcast at some point where we can really you know um unpack it all and, and sort of decide in our opinion what it means and what will come from it i wanted to talk about looking back now at the election and looking looking back at the result of it um it it was kind of a presidential election in terms of it was very much a candidate driven one i mean if you look at the campaign bus that the conservatives put up in the north it was like vote for theresa may it wasn't vote for the conservatives um and you've seen you know jeremy corbyn turning up at glastonbury since (laughs) um like with Tens of thousands of uh, people ch- uh, chanting his name. Go on, somebody, somebody did the chant. Go on, Jess. No, 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 no. We, that's, that's not for the pod, man. Um, and I think, like, that's commie. It, I think <laughs> if we look, if we look back at it now, I mean, what were the Conservatives thinking? Theresa May is a bang average politician. She's bang average. She showed that in the entire campaign, and I think Corbyn actually confounded the critics in that. I remember when they announced the election and sort of the memes that were being tweeted of Corbyn looking all dishevelled and 
as, as if he wouldn't be able to take the spotlight or the intensity of something where he actually had to try to win it. Whereas that isn't the case. I just think that's an uh, interesting point in and of itself. I found it quite funny with uh, the Lib Dems that while Labour and the Conservatives were like putting forefront their leaders, the Lib Dems were actually trying to hide theirs because nobody knew who he was. And it, a lot of people just had no idea who Tim Farron was, like, well, his face anyway. And so they were actually trying to like put forward the Lib Dem party first as opposed to Tim Farron, which is, you know, whether or not that's the right thing to do, which is quite funny, I thought. I swear he had a big week, like right at the, the very beginning of the campaign, but then he just like disappeared. Well, he, he, you're right, he had, a, he had a sort of big week, but that's when he got caught up in the do you hate gays kind of the vibe, which isn't a good, good vibe to be in. So. Mm. I think the Tories have learned a scary lesson, though. Um, I think we will never see a such poorly run Tory campaign ever again. And I just hope that Jeremy Corbyn doesn't get too ahead of himself because the Tories spend more money on campaigning than Labour. One, because they've got more money, um, which, whatever, yeah, we can get into that another money. day. But... <laughs> They know the battleground was social media. I think all their money will go on social media and not having such a wet lettuce of a leader for their next yeah. campaign. There you go, guys. You can get a job. Do you actually think social that media. the battleground Woo. is social media? <laughs> Genuinely, I don't. I would say okay. it in the past, in different countries, it's been proven that social media plays a part in stuff. But ultimately, it's just it's a distribution tool. It's an amplification amplification thing. You ultimately have to have a good leader, a good message good set of policies if you don't have those you don't win the election social is just a part of how you extend what you want to say totally agree but seeing the the death of the daily mail which we can all celebrate on this one social media is the way that you engage with your audience to pass that message on i think i think it has a point in the direct to consumer kind of thing in that you could take jeremy corbyn and his points and you could record sort of clips of him actually speaking and saying what he meant to say and then deliver that directly to people. Whereas, as we saw in all of the mainstream media, be that on the TV or in the uh, papers, a lot of what he would take, sorry, a lot of what he would say would be changed or or sort of um, portrayed in a way that wasn't exactly the point he tried to make. Yeah, I think that, you know, on TV, I don't think he necessarily got the hardest run in comparison to the Conservatives. I think TV wasn't the most... You know, bias view. Obviously, the papers were incredibly right wing. I don't think the Daily Mail's Daily Mail's not dead. Whether it's Mail Online or whether it's the Daily Mail paper, the readership is unbelievable, and they will continue to you know influence a lot of people in the same way the Sun will. And I think it's kind of you know as younger guys who all kind of work in this sort of advertising industry ish, I think you know we know very well that the influence of social in comparison to other medias is nowhere near as, as kind of strong as people might think it is. And I think it is just ultimately about what you have about you first and foremost. But is it shifting? I'd say definitely. Hugely so. I also didn't mean the death of the Daily Mail. I meant just on their influence to be able to win an election, which is being proven. I think as well, the Conservatives did win the election. Yeah, right. I was going to say. The, the, mm. the, the Labour Party lost. Wait, what? Hang on. Corbyn didn't win. Apparently, apparently he's not Prime Minister, which is weird. <laughs> Considering what, was. what you may think. Yeah, so, I mean, the Daily Mail... And, I mean, this is another discussion, but the Daily Mail and the Sun and the Express, they play their part and they play an important part. But to what Matt just said, I think it is shifting and it is starting to 
be the vehicle of choice. It, it, I, I guess if the creative's right, if what you're trying to say is right, if, if the candidate is strong, then I think social does still deliver. I just think they had a best. message. I just think they had a message or an approach or a set of policies and a leader which engaged a younger group of people. They also were really, really smart with engaging like influential people, be that in grime or whatever it may have been, to then spread their message. Social just happened to be their kind of distribution tool of choice, whereas for the conservatives went hard on Facebook. Conservatives actually had the most viewed video out of any political video out there. It had like 8 million views, and it was also, um, half of it was lies as well. They actually got um, taken to the ASA about that. And so we have this kind of position where you're kind of saying conservatives would invest more in social in the future. And they, they invested loads in social in this one. And they had the papers on the back. And they won it. And I think in the future, yeah, the, the youth are a big kind of part of the vote. But ultimately, there are still millions of people who do not give a flying fuck about social media. And it's who still read the papers. sworn on the podcast. Not, not about caring about social media, but they use it. And a lot of people are influenced by it without knowing, is my point. It's such a, a place where people share and... I don't know about you guys, but my Facebook during the election was basically just, oh, what's the word? It's basically just all Labour because of what you follow and what you don't. The follow. echo chamber, isn't it? Echo chamber. Yeah. Cheers, man. Um, so, Dan, do you think that um, without social media, Labour would still have had to take the, the same uptake as they had in the election? Let's say social media didn't exist in any form, as maybe it didn't in, what, three elections ago. Do you think... That, that Labour would have done as well as they did in, in the election. I mean, it's a ridiculous hypothetical, isn't it? Well, no, because I think, I think you know the answer is absolutely not. Yeah, because uh, obviously I do, but that's a hypothetical that doesn't exist or won't ever exist again. But, but, you, but you're, saying, saying. You're, saying, you're basically saying that it made absolutely no odds to it. And I think it, I, I think saying. That's not what I'm saying. All I said was the reason that Labour performed better than people expected, especially amongst the youth, wasn't because they said, we're just going to use social media. Because Ed Miliband used social media. You had the Millie fandom. That was all great. But ultimately, their message didn't land. Their leader didn't land properly. Whereas this time it did. Social was a good tool for that. But before any of that consideration, you have to have a party that works for the audience that you're trying to speak to. It just so happened that Labour wanted to mainly predominantly speak to that younger audience. Conservatives still use social, as I say. It's an important tool. It's just not something that you can put at the forefront of your kind of strategy to win a government to win a place in government it's a tool that's all it is the important bit is what you're actually trying to say that you live or die by that ultimately and the leader yeah i kind of I, I know what you're saying um i just think if it wasn't there and corbyn had all these great things to say but it never got through to the people who would normally get their news through social media then he's not, doesn't matter how hard it hit in his messages they're never going to hear it no but that's not what i was saying like social still there i get it it works but it's down to what you say behind that. Social allows, just like it allows the Conservatives to speak to a younger audience, everybody's got the same amount of social out there. It's not just Facebook for Labour or Twitter for Labour. They can, you know, you can still speak to the same people, put the money behind it and get it. And that's kind of where we're at. I think maybe Robbie's point was, is the battleground, or someone's point was, the bat is the battleground going to be online moving forward? And was it, was it won and lost? On this election, uh, I think. I think election. just just to say, I think in the years to come, I do think campaigns will become more fragmented in terms of targeting and whatnot. I do agree with 
Dan's point that it is the message and the leader that at the end of the day will resonate with people. But I do believe that social is going to start to change the game in in terms of democratizing that sort of information and allowing candidates to go straight to certain parts of the electorate that they're trying to target. Because there was something about this election, and I think, I guess, about Corbyn that brought out the youth vote um, last month. So turnout was at a 25-year high. Um, More than half of those aged 18 to 24 turned out to vote, which was an increase of 16 percentage points in 2015, which is huge. And and I think we kind of have to contribute that to Corbyn himself. I think you can sort of see from the rallies that he held that he had an impact with this group. The question is, because the percentage of older people, so 55 and 65 plus, that voted for the Conservatives increased kind of just as much, or slightly less than the amount of, of people that sort of turned out between 18 and 30 that voted for the Labour Party. So can that sort of engagement with the youth vote stay? And is it kind of going to turn into a bit of a war of the generations between the youth kind of siding with the left and with Labour and the right and and sort of the older generations siding with the right and with the Conservatives? I think in 20 years, the, the right will be dead because they're going to lose so much voting power as the aging population unfortunately does pass and looking at the the the, like the surge in the youth vote and where it lands like obviously i don't mean the right will be completely gone but the power will be with the left just looking at how they're voting right now that's an interesting point um and i think some of us have discussed that a few times before um one counter argument to that is and i'm not saying i necessarily agree with it um but it's it's basically the idea that as you get older you sort of drift to the right because your views on things change yeah. you want security mm. you, you know um, and that's bleak if that is the case but I don't know my thoughts are on I think um, I don't know whether I said it on a different uh, episode but there's that saying that if you're under 30 and don't vote Labour or you know an equivalent you don't have a heart if you're over 30 and don't vote Conservatives you don't have a brain, yeah, a brain. and you know, we've actually there's a few um, guys in my office who aren't left wing um, which is surprising for an ad agency. Yeah. And, um, Find them. Yeah. <laughs> and them. Their, uh, their, their views, you know, they're a little bit older as well. And their views were that, you know, as you get older, you just, you have more responsibilities. You have kids, you have a house. Suddenly just things dawn in on you a little bit and it becomes very much up to you to support your family and kind of, you know, earn the right amount of money or keep hold of your cash so that you can kind of get the best for them. And that does warp, not warp, but it changes your view on things. Your view goes from maybe being a younger person whose view is more outwardly, more wider, because you don't have those personal responsibilities. So as you get older, suddenly that closes in, and then you make decisions based on what's immediately relevant for your family rather than what's relevant for a wider kind of economy. I think, just quickly, before we wrap up this episode, because we're coming close to the end, is sort of to build on that, it does feel like politics at the moment, especially with sort of uh, tra- uh, tragedies like Grenfell Tower and a few other incidents and kind of the emotionally charged atmosphere that we li- 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 live in now, that 
politics is slightly more emotional and less kind of pragmatic, especially when it comes to things like the deficit or the economy. So I do think that people voting with their heart is, is kind of a trend that's going to continue. And, and one thing is that you could say about this election was that it was a, a rejection of the austerity packages and, or the austerity policies of the last um, seven years, uh, two years of just conservative ge- uh, government and five years of uh, coalition between the conservatives and the Lib Dems. I think, do we think that trend is going to continue? And, and is that going to kind of empower the left or policies that kind of say let's forget about whether or not this makes sense economically what is right for the people what is right for you know uh, buildings having the fire safety that they need um, public sector workers getting the pay that they deserve is that the road that we're going to start to head down now as, as opposed to let's balance the budget I think so in some regards I think as well when people of our generation start having children and they get to a certain age I was never engaged in politics by my parents, so I learned about politics through getting passionate with my friends and seeing what was happening in the world, things like even more recently with the Grenville Tower. And I think but because the younger generation is more passionate than ever, and you can see that by turnout and the growth in turnout, I think it will have a good effect on the next generation of voters, so our children and our children's children. And I think that will continue what you say is the trend of the way people are voting now. I don't think we're going to change the way we vote um, based on getting older, personally. I think it's, a, it's an interesting one, the whole, you know, people are voting with their heart now. Um, I think it's still, you know, as we said earlier, the Conservatives still won. They still by, still won by a majority, not like an official majority, but by a, yeah. you know, a majority. So for me, that doesn't necessarily add up. But what I think we're seeing is we're starting to see behind the curtain and however many years ago to the point earlier about social media you wouldn't have necessarily heard as much about Grenfell Tower because it would have had a news cycle it would have come and it would have gone and yet we are still seeing the repercussions of that through social media because that is then propelling the news cycle round again because there's still been more said about it and I think the reason that we're seeing more of this emotive view on politics is because people are seeing what's really happening people are upset people are angry and for people who maybe like us aren't exactly in at the deep end we're not kind of um we're not necessarily work you know traditionally working class people but there are so many people out there who are struggling who are having a really hard time because of this you know kind of economy of austerity over the past however many years because of this tory-led government that that's impacting on the people around the people who are struggling and we're seeing it and we're going we have empathy and that for me is why there's a sort of been a slight there's been a change in tide and the momentum now seems elsewhere and it seems in hope it seems in not hope necessarily but actually we need change and we need a better way of living than what's currently going on because it's not right for a lot of people out there yeah i think the proof will be in the pudding in times in terms of what that means for how much it costs and how we have to restructure the way society is and and how we how we pay for it and I just I just think that I agree with that myself uh, personally I think I think Ken Clark was on Newsnight the, the, the other day and he was he was speaking about how <clears throat> you get trends in uh, politics where something 
picks up speed and people say, right, we need to do this, we need to make sure that they earn more, we need to do this, we need to do that. But then when the reality of uh, government arrives and this the opposition party that may be swept to power because of that comes in and they understand the realities of, all right, so this is what we have to do to make that happen, then sometimes the path can change. I agree that it's, you know, it's, it's an idealistic, not an idealistic, it feels almost idealistic. But then when you look at the realities of some of the things that have happened, and it's, for me, it's about the government's view of a certain type of person in this oh, yeah, uh, totally. nation. Because if you look at the people from Grenfell, and I think they got five grand each, which are actually still struggling to access, that totals up to like roughly about a million. The DUP just got a billion just yeah. to kind of do a deal. No, and yet there are people who have died, people who have you know, been dis- you know, moved out of the houses because of the five, you know, essentially caused by negligence in their own council. And that, for me, is something that goes beyond idealism. It just goes down to kind of systematic issues within our government and a certain, not certain parties, but a certain type of people's view of others. Yeah, I think, as you were saying earlier, Dan, um, the curtain has been, well, what's behind the curtain has been revealed much better nowadays with the help of social media and kind of, the support of open media and the engagement of young people uh, and I think all we can do is keep not all we can do what we have to keep pushing for is that continue like to continue that engagement because that's all the time then people start asking questions and put, trying to make people accountable for things all the time to- like in previous years I wouldn't have had a clue about things going on especially when I was coming up to the age of voting it's not like I got to the age of 17 I was like great one more year and I can vote. Was it 17 or 18? 18, yeah. It's not like I got to my 17th birthday. I was like, only one more year till I can vote. I yeah. didn't give a f- <clears throat> Yeah. D- didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's really shifted politics. Um, and I remember that article from The Sun. It was how to keep your kid from voting. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Yeah. I think, Dan, you sent it around, didn't you? Somebody sent it around. I don't actually think it was. And it was. It was a genuine article printed in the sun and also posted online on the sun. That's insane. Ten, ten ways to... It's a listicle, it's the sun. Yeah. Ten <laughs> ways to keep your teenage kid um, at home and not vote, right. basically. Interesting. Because yeah, it, was, it was like two days before the election or something. Well, I think, I think that's a good point, is that people have to remain engaged with politics because politicians answer to those that will secure them their power. Which is why kind of the grey vote was always so important. And I mean, it's so important. It is still incredibly important. The the older generations are, are the ones that vote in the highest numbers. But this election showed that there is an equally, if not growing, contingent or, or part of the electorate in the youth that are re- renewed in their, in their sort of political um, uh, a- 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 appetite and... If that, if that continues, then politicians will have to start to take the decisions that affect those, um, those people. So, um, Dan, you've got a quick point before we... Yeah, I was just saying, so to your point about young people, or just more people being engaged with politics, and I think I've sort of realised as of sort of this 40 minutes has gone by, I've been so neggy this whole podcast and quite like, sort of quite emotive about some of the stuff in it. And I think that's only because as we become more more and more engaged with politics and learn more about it, it starts to mean more and it starts to sort of matter about 
the things that are really happening. And I think it's really important that everybody out there continues to be more engaged with politics because that's ultimately the only way we work towards a society that's sort of better for everyone in the country, not just the people who are already engaged. And that's why we started Hung. That's why we started Hung, why we will continue to record Hung. So I think that, I think we probably didn't speak about everything we wanted to, but that happens with podcasts. We're now, I think, 53 minutes in because I forgot to press start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> so um, we're almost at an hour. I mean, there's, there's plenty of stuff we haven't spoken about, about this election, about, you know, how long we think this government's really going to last what are they going to get through? We didn't even talk about all the Tory manifesto pledges that, that didn't make it into the Queen's speech, but we're going to have to stop there. Um, thank you for listening. Um, say goodbye, Matt. See you later. Say goodbye, Jace. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Nathan. Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you and goodbye. And say goodbye, Dan. Cheers and bye. Jace didn't Just do his... Oh, I was gonna... you didn't do your goodbye, Jace. I thought that was becoming your thing. No. We can make it my thing. We can read... Okay. Re- no, no, I don't know if, if that should be your thing because I think you're you're worth more than that. I don't think that needs some like. Yeah, we, we don't, we don't, we're hung. We don't need gimmicks. By the way, I don't think we're going to give Jace a scheduled gag either. And we're also saying goodbye to Dan Brown today, who leaves our shores for two years to travel the world. So, Dan, a few words for the for the fans. <laughs> for the second speech in, yeah. in a week I've got to do. Yeah, um, make this one a little bit longer, yeah? Yeah, a little bit longer, a little bit shorter, surely. Um, no, it's just, <laughs> I suppose a kind of a point I maybe made earlier, depending on which podcast this makes it into. Um, <laughs> the yeah, I was sort of saying that it's just really important that people remain engaged with politics, and mm-hmm. as we've mentioned before, that's ultimately why we started Hung, and I'm massively proud to have kind of yeah. been a part of the start of what hopefully is something really special and long may it continue so best of luck to you boys while I'm travelling the, the shores of South America yeah respect don't go to Venezuela we'll okay. dial you in from Colombia yeah yeah I'll do a special <laughs> report <laughs> live live from Brazil <coughs> and I'll be like boys I haven't read the news in six months what's <laughs> happened yeah I don't think you'd add much value at that point but that's fine we can still I'd have a great tan though you, you wouldn't be able to see it but I'd have a great tan Right, so um, that's the end of Hung episode three, and it's goodbye from me too. Catch you next time. Bye. Awesome.